In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Today, it, on this beautiful day where we are remembering the events of the healing by that pool of Meseda, by the sheep gate of the healing of the paralytic, I want to draw our attention to the order of the events and also the deep connection, the continuation of the ministry of our Lord that we heard in the epistle where Peter heals in an echo of the words of Christ here to the paralytic. What's of the most supreme importance in this passage that is somewhat hidden in how we divide up the readings uh, in the Orthodox Church, it can be, uh, we can miss it if we're not familiar with the context that follows after this great healing. And maybe even uh, the importance of the sort of humorous exchange that the paralytic has with, uh, with the Jews after his healing, after our Lord has told him, rise, take up your pallet, and walk. Just after all of that exchange of the great miracle, him taking up his pallet and walking, and then there's this exchange with, wait, you're walking on the Sabbath. How is this possible? Who did this for you? And all of this exchange. And there's this... Um, the paralytic has no idea who Jesus is. And this is an indication for us of how important it is to be able to answer that very question of who is Christ. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, many of these uh, encounters of who Christ is are somewhat hidden. They're less explicit than they are in this chapter of the Gospel according to St. John which is chapter 5 of John's Gospel. In what follows after this exchange, immediately after what follows, the last verse that we hear today is what Bishop Dimitri, Archbishop Dimitri Royster of blessed memory called a detailed theological declaration by Christ himself of who he is. This miracle starts is the start of the theological revelation of Jesus Christ's identity. He is beginning to show in a deeper way what St. John, the forerunner and Baptist, pointed out when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. It is this miracle as the first time, at least in the response of Christ, to the interactions that happen among the Pharisees and the Jewish rulers, it is this miracle that begins to prompt and they know exactly who Christ is claiming to be. And it is the reason, this miracle, that Christ declares his equality with the Father to the Jewish rulers that they begin to plot against him. So here, even in the Paschal season, the church begins to unfold. We have in these last three weeks been contemplating that divine identity in St. Thomas Sunday, in the myrrh-bearing women, and now we come to the paralytic, who by a miracle and through his own words is known. So where the pericope stops, we'll pick up so that we can understand this. Our Lord tells the Pharisees that my father is working still and I 
am working. And then the great evangelist John gives this explanation to Christ's own words. This was why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his own father, making himself equal with God. So from the very earliest chapters of St. John's Gospel, we see that Christ is revealing himself with no mystery. He is revealing who he is and by what power and what authority he has. He is saying, I am the Son of God the Father. And how, why am I doing this? I'm doing it to honor him. How am I doing it? Because the Father has given me the same authority that he has. And what is going to happen? He will continue that healing ministry. The resurrection will occur. And that he will be the one, our Lord himself, who judges the whole world. And that judgment, that healing, and that resurrection will continue. And that's what we've heard. Because our Lord says that greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. This is what our Lord says, and this is what we've heard in the epistle, that these great works continue. And, and indeed, in the church, these wonder-working miracles continue to this very day to those who our Lord grants and deems that it is good for their salvation. So what, is, what does all this mean? It means that our Lord came to set everything aright, to put it in order, to connect it to the divine when it was when we have strayed and tried to find ways without God to solve our problems, to put things in order without God. This is really a very silly way to go about. For we see through history, we see through our own experience that every time we go about trying to put things in order without God, that it, with just our own mind and our own abilities, that all of these attempts eventually fail, and eventually they descend into chaos. They descend into means which harm ourselves and our fellow man. There isn't really a cohesion. There really isn't an actual order when we try and put things together in our human way or our limited human way. It's like when we see what we mistake, what we think is order, is like when we see um, a shadow cast upon the ground, like, say, from a giant cloud on the sky, in the sky, or probably more appropriately, like a storm cloud or a swarm of locusts, that when we look on the ground, it looks like it's whole and complete. But there's really chaos and destruction that is happening that is casting that shadow on the floor because it's blocking the light of the sun. This is the most that our human order can be because it's disconnected from God himself, who has ordered the whole universe for us. Our modern psychology stemming from Jung and Freud, our modern democracies that are stemming from many, many, many different voices are like this. And from the era of the Enlightenment that strove, really, our modern world stems from here. From the era that tried to explain the world without God. Our own multitude and multiplicitous, like continuing to grow philosophies and ideologies of our age, have morphed and given birth from that root. The assumption that man can give structure, order, and a hierarchy to the world 
without God and that it will work. This is what we try to do when we, we know that there should be something there. There should be something that guides us, but we try to do it without the ultimate God who loves us. So all we have is the shadow, comparing it to the source of true and eternal light, that order that is Jesus Christ, the very God, the Son of God, the Father, who became man. He sets the world in a divine order to heal it. And that is what he is doing today with the paralytic. And that is what he does as he responds to the Jewish rulers and everything that follows from that healing. The Pharisees that he is responding to, the Jewish rulers, what they were known for is this very thing that I've just pointed at. This is what made, especially the Pharisees, Pharisees. That they tried to create a law that was within the law of God, but that God didn't tell them to do. That's what a Pharisee was. They created all these minutiae of things to follow, and then they held people and said, you're not righteous because you're not following that. But God never set that as part of his way of knowing him. And so Christ is responding to that in everything that follows from the paralytic by proclaiming who he is and that he has come with the authority of the Father. This is what he is telling us who we are connected to through him the divine Father on high. And so, what we have before us is a beauty of the ordering of our salvation by God. All that is apart from him is disordered because it stems from sin. It stems from our own sins. We know that this is also what Christ is pointing at because of the second time that our Lord meets the paralytic. The paralytic doesn't know who he is, but then... Christ sees him and he seeks out the paralytic and reveals himself to him in the fullness of his identity and he says that he is Jesus Christ who heals him. And in this words, as his parting words to the paralytic, he says, see, you are well, sin no more, and nothing worse will befall you. So we know in some measure, we don't know the details, that sin was a participation and perhaps a small cause to his illness, to his paralysis. And Christ also sets a right and gives an answer to our corruption and to the death of the body. This is what he points at. All that is corrupted, that he did not create man to be. Our inability to move about, to be, that we are blind, born blind sometimes and sometimes willingly blind. That we are lame and that we are paralyzed, that we fall ill and that sometimes we are bedridden. Even these and those who have died, he has an answer. And he will give himself, which is always sinless, without corruption and immortal. That grace is what he is giving. And that's what he gave to the paralytic and gives to us in this season that we are ever reminded of his resurrection. Many of the church fathers see in the five porticos, the five pillars that hold up the uh, that where all of the lame were at, they see in this the law of God given in the five books of Moses. And they see that it is an indication of a good portion of that shadow that we spoke about earlier. That it is pointing to what is to come. Because it does come from God, the law of Moses. But it is a sign nonetheless that points to something deeper and more. And we know this because they see in the immersion in the water 
our baptisms. And in our baptisms, we are given all of Christ. Corruption, it is his answer and the shunning of sin when we follow the law. And in our baptism, when we are given Christ, that we are given that which overcomes all of illness, all of death, and that we enter fully into that divine ordering of God because we are given Christ himself. This is what it means when we chant those who have put on Christ. We are given all of God through him and through that baptism. St. Bede has this wonderful thing as he points to this. I just want to quote it. The grace of the gospel, however, through faith and the mystery of the Lord's passion, heals all illnesses of our iniquities, from which we could not be justified in the law of Moses. Thus, it is as if it sends the disease cast out from the porticos of the law and into the stirred-up water of the pool so that they can be cleansed. That's the extent of the law, is what he is saying. And that then, through the water of baptism, it cleanses people from the sins which the law pointed out. So it's through baptism that we are able to overcome our sins. Able to overcome and not have the hold of death and its fear over us. So it must be pointed out that a detail of this story, that the paralytic was sick for 38 years before his healing. Not to mention maybe all of the others who were still there that Christ did not heal on that day. Perhaps on another day he did. And in the age to come, he heals all. But it was for 38 years that that paralytic sat by the pool in his, in his waiting for his chance to be healed. And it is a mystery that we are glimpsing at of why we are not told the man's reason for his paralysis. Yet we know that he needed Christ and he needed to be there to meet Christ, right? If he was anywhere else on that day, Christ, he would, his path would not have crossed him. Suffering, the suffering that this paralytic had, brought and gave him the means to return to that order of salvation that we've been talking about, that is wrought by God's own hand. In the end, we know by faith that Christ will overcome all. But that doesn't mean that, it, that our suffering cannot be also a medicine that prepares us for that day that heals us, helps us in our souls to be ready. It can be a medicine that helps order us, just as all medicines. You go to the doctor, and they don't just give you any old medicine or just something to dumb everything down. The point of medicine is to order our bodies aright, to be again in harmony, as best as our fallen world and our best as our modern medicine can. But the spiritual medicine of the Lord always has this good and perfect aim and purpose to make soul and body whole again and in good health. St. Nikolai has these wonderful words as he points to that suffering that the paralytic had for those 38 years and how it could be for his salvation. So let's hear his words. At times, even it seems to a sick man that the medicine is worse and more bitter than the sickness itself. And so it seems at times to the sinner, the suffering is harder and more bitter than the sin that's committed. But this is only an illusion, a very strong self-delusion. There is no suffering in the world that would be anywhere near as hard and destructive as sin is. 
All the suffering borne by men and nations is none other than the abundant healing that eternal mercy offers to men and nations to save them from eternal death. Every sin, however small, would inevitably bring death if mercy were not to allow suffering in order to sober men up from the inebriation of sin. For the healing that comes through suffering is brought about by the grace-filled power of the Holy and life-giving Spirit. So often we want to get to, these are the words of St. Nikolai and those have ended, these are my own words, so often we want to get to the healing part without the medicine, without the suffering that may accompany the healing of our souls. But Christ sometimes deems it in a different way. And we see that sometimes we need to pass through painful moments. Just as Peter, as he went about in his ministry when he came to Tabitha and how she had died and the great suffering of the community because she was such a gift to them. Tabitha and her charity, she was known for, for making clothes and cloths for people and giving them. This was, and this was what was shown to Peter in their mourning. And Pete, they needed to see that, see that she had truly died in order to understand the great gift of the resurrection that Peter came in the name of Christ to show to them. And so Peter, when he gets there, he enters, and what does he say to Tabitha? He says, rise, and then he helps her up. He echoes the words of the Savior to the paralytic. Both had to pass through some measure of suffering before death was overcome, sin was forgiven, and corruption was freed. Their hold of corruption was freed from them. And in the epistle, we hear the answer. And these are to us because we live in those times, the apostolic times, the times that the apostle of our Lord and we wait for the resurrection for all. That the order of salvation comes when we believe in the Lord and that is the Lord who is risen from the dead. So my brothers and sisters, today in this celebratory season of Pascha, we are proclaiming with power and repeatedly the greatest and most powerful gift that we are given and that is the risen Lord Christ himself. It is by that name that Peter heals, for it is by that name that the strength and the power of the resurrection are imparted to us. Rise, Peter says, to Ananias and to Tabitha, in an echo of our master's words to the paralytic. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. In our Lord, we are given all that he gave to the paralytic by the sheep pool, and was declared by him of himself to the Jewish rulers who took umbrage and offense at the healing on the Sabbath. That sin is forgiven in him and death and corruption have no lasting hold and that they will cease when the heavenly order presents itself to us. Today we taste of that and we drink of it in every church service of the season that we are in. For in each one we are proclaiming the risen Christ who tramples down death, which is our final enemy. That is the saving work of Christ to which the paralytic was given and from which we gain our own spiritual hope. Apart from him, anything we do without him will come to nothing and will eventually descend into chaos and destruction. We see that evident in our world today. Let us do all things 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may rise with him and enter into eternity where there is no sorrow of sin, corruption, or death, but genuine life and light in abundance. Claim that today and mean it in every time that you give the possible greeting to one another. So let us do so now with all of this in mind and say together that Christ is risen. Amen.